Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Lowe. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Lowe is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, well, after finishing our short series through the book of Ruth last week, uh, it's time for us to start our new series. And uh, many of you may remember that a few months ago I had announced that our uh, next series would take us through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so if you have a Bible, I go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 1. And in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you will find that on page 980. 980. And before we get started, let me share a bit of background information that may prove helpful as we make our way through uh, this letter. We read about the beginning of the church in Philippi during our series through the book of Acts. Uh, we saw in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and his team were planning to go into the region of Asia, uh, but that the Lord forbade them from doing that. And so next they decided they'd go into the region of Bithynia. But then once again, the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that. And so they're sitting in the, tr the, the city of Troas trying to figure out what they're supposed to do when Paul has a vision in the middle of the night. And in this vision, he sees a man from the region of Macedonia who, who is calling out and begging him to come and help the people who are there. And so the mission team decides that this must be God's plan for them, and they immediately go into the region of Macedonia with the city of, Pil of Philippi being the first stop. Upon arrival, a woman named Lydia believed the gospel, and she invited Paul and his team to stay at her house, where eventually the rest of her family came to faith also. And then later on, Paul cast a demon out of a slave girl who was possessed by a demon that gave her the ability to tell people's fortunes. But once her owners realized that she had lost her power, that they were no longer able to make money off of her, they seized Paul and Silas and threw them in jail, had them beaten illegally, and then later, when God miraculously freed Paul and Silas from jail, uh, the jailer and his family came to faith also. It was possible that the young girl uh, came to faith who Paul had delivered from demonic possession. Uh, and, and that's just the people that Luke recorded. And so when Paul and Silas left Philippi, there was a solid core group of people constituting a new local church who were prepared to carry on the work of ministry there. Now, it's about 10 years later at this point, and Paul is now where we left him at the end of the book of Acts. He is in Rome, in prison, waiting to stand trial before the emperor. And while he's there, the Philippians have sent a messenger with a number of gifts to help supply his needs while he's there. And so Paul is now taking an opportunity uh, to write them a letter of response. As he has heard a report about how the church is doing, he wants to address those issues to thank the Philippians for their gift. And so we're going to spend the next few months studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. And as we get started this morning, we're going to be reminded of what the church is all about, as Paul emphasizes the importance of being partners in the gospel. And so we're in Philippians chapter 1. And we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we get started here in verse 1, Paul identifies himself along with Timothy as the author of this letter. And you'll notice that he describes both of them as servants of Christ Jesus. And so we remember that Jesus called Paul to be his apostle, his, uh, his mouthpiece, his spokesman, particularly among Gentiles. All right, so that tells us that Paul conducts his ministry and he is writing this letter in service to the Lord. And so it should be received in that way. And then in the second half of verse 1, the recipients of the letter are identified as all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Now in our study through 1 Thessalonians a couple months ago, we saw that the, the word saint is directly related to the concept of holiness, which in turn refers to the, the fact that something or someone has been set apart by God for his own purposes. When, when something is holy, it has been set apart by God for his own purposes. And as Paul says that the saints are those who are in Christ Jesus, we recognize that Paul is referring specifically to people who have been set apart by God for his own purposes through placing their faith in Jesus Christ. So by trusting in Jesus as the Messiah, believers come under the authority of the Lord. And now our lives are to be lived for his purposes in every way. And then finally, that these saints in Christ Jesus are at Philippi confirms that this letter is directed to a local church, right? the gathered community of God's people in this particular city. And so right off the bat, the introduction reminds us, as we are going to see throughout the rest of the letter, that the church is not primarily a social club. Right? The church is not primarily a service organization. The church is not primarily a, a political action group. Right, the church, primarily, is a local community of people who have received salvation through faith in Jesus and who have been called to be and to make disciples together. Right, a local church is a community of people who have received salvation from sin through faith in Jesus and who have been called to be and to make disciples together. As Christians, we have been set aside by God for his purposes. And that's very important for us to remember, because when we forget that, then we have this tendency to make the church about us. And anytime we try to make the church about us, we get into all kinds of trouble, as we'll see later on in this letter. But then at the end of verse 1, you'll notice that Paul specifically highlights two groups of people within the church. He says the overseers and the deacons. And so who are these people, and what do they do? Well, overseers and deacons are leaders within a local church who have particular responsibilities. And so first of all, the term overseers is really just another way of referring to pastors, or, or elders, as the case may be. And so there are three different terms that we find for church leaders throughout the New Testament. You have you have elders, you have overseers, and you have pastors, or shepherds, uh, in some cases. So these are, are three different terms, but we find these terms linked together in a number of different passages in the New Testament. 
And so we understand that all three of these terms are referring to different aspects of the same office. And so for simplicity's sake, we usually just refer to them as pastors today. All right, so overseer equals elder equals pastor. Three terms that bring out different aspects of the same role. And specifically, the word overseer highlights the responsibility that pastors have uh, for maintaining, uh, they have the responsibility for ensuring that the church is functioning properly. Right? An overseer is in a, a supervisory or managerial role. Right? Overseers give oversight. And so pastors are responsible for ensuring that the church does what it's supposed to do, the way it's supposed to do it, all according to God's word. As we saw in our study through Acts, uh, as Paul traveled around, he would appoint a group of men in each church who would, who would go on to function and serve as the pastors of the church once he was ready to move on to a new area. He handed the permanent leadership of the church over to them. All right, we saw elders in the church at Jerusalem. We saw elders at the church in Ephesus. The apostle James, in his letter, expects that there are elders in each church. And we saw in our study through Titus that Paul expected Titus to appoint elders in each of the churches on the island of Crete. And he gave, them a, he gave him a list of qualifications for what to look for, which we also find in Paul's first letter to Timothy. So it's, it's difficult, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to overstate the importance of churches having healthy leadership. And in the New Testament, we consistently see that described as a group of pastors who have the character and competency to shepherd and oversee the life of the church. And so Paul acknowledges those pastors here in Philippi in verse 1. Now deacons, on the other hand, have more of a hands-on role within the church, if you will. All right, the word deacon means servant or, or perhaps even assistant. And the idea is that deacons have the responsibility of assisting the pastors of the church by taking care of practical needs, which then enables the pastors to focus primarily on preaching, prayer, and discipleship. Now, Paul lists the qualifications for deacons in his first letter to Timothy as well, and like elders, there appears to be an expectation that there will be a group of them in each church. And so just a, a quick picture, illustration of how overseers and deacons work together would be in Acts chapter 6. You'll uh, possibly remember that the early church is booming in the city of Jerusalem, and the task of doing everything has become more than what the apostles can handle on their own. Now we find that some of the widows in the church are not receiving the financial assistance that they need, and so a, a rift begins that, that threatens to bring disunity in the church. And so the apostles, functioning as overseers in this context, call the church to nominate seven men who function as deacons in this context, and that they will be given the responsibility for ensuring that this problem gets taken care of, so that the apostles in turn are free to do what they're called to do. All right, and so as overseers, the apostles recognize that God calls the church to help take care of members who are not able to take care of themselves. They also recognize they need to do a better job of it than what they've been doing. But then they hand off that responsibility to the deacons who work to make sure that that gets taken care of. And right, so pastors and deacons work together to ensure that the spiritual and practical needs of the church are provided for. 
Then having said that, in verse 2, Paul pronounces a blessing for the Philippians to continue experiencing the grace and peace that God gives to his people. And so, of course, on one hand, we have already received grace and peace from God through the person and work of Jesus. But as we go through this life, we continue to need God's grace and peace by, on a day-by-day basis. And so here Paul expresses his desire that the Philippians will receive what they need from the Lord in order to be able to live their lives faithfully. Having all this introductory information out of the way, Paul shares how he prays for the church, beginning in verse 3. So we'll pick up again, starting in verse 3. He writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so moving into this next section, Paul expresses his love and appreciation for the Philippians and how he prays for them. He starts off by telling them that he thanks God every time he thinks about them. He tells them that every time he prays for them, he prays with joy. And in verse 5, we see why Paul has so much gratefulness and joy for the Philippians, and that is because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, now the word partnership, which could also be translated as fellowship, refers to a sharing or a participation in something together. When Paul says that the Philippians are partners in the gospel, he means that they have been participating or sharing in gospel work with him. And so no doubt the Philippians have faithfully supported Paul through prayer and the years since he was last with them. Uh, They have no doubt continued the work of ministry that he began in Philippi and certainly enduring whatever consequences of persecution came along with that. We know that they have supported Paul financially. We saw in Acts chapter 18 that when Silas and Timothy caught up with Paul in the city of Corinth, that they brought a gift from the Philippians with them that allowed Paul to stop working a second job in order to provide for his needs and to be able to focus all of his time and efforts in ministry. And then, as I mentioned in the introduction, they have just now sent him another gift in prison. And so from the time they became believers... The Philippians have partnered with Paul in gospel ministry. They have been praying, evangelizing, discipling, suffering, and supporting him in his own work. And he sees them as co-laborers in the gospel. Now this partnership is especially noteworthy because the reality is that not all of the churches that Paul planted did that. Some of the churches got off track and began floundering around, and he had to come back and and help them to get back on track. But while the Philippians were not perfect, as we'll continue to see as we go through this letter, they were nevertheless a healthy church. They were a healthy church. In verses 3 through 5, you can tell how much that meant to Paul. They were a great encouragement to him when he needed them the most. So again, as we went through Acts, we saw that Paul was an incredibly busy man. He he traveled around the world preaching the gospel and planting churches, and we saw that he suffered a lot because of his ministry. He had a ton of things on his plate, and on top of that, at this point, he is facing a standing trial from before the emperor. And so he's got a lot of things going on, and yet, 
every time the Philippian church crosses his mind, it lifts his spirits, and he thanks God for them. Every time he thinks of them, he prays for them, and he does so with joy and thanksgiving for what God has done in and among them. Now, as you know, I usually cover whole sections in my sermons, but as I was preparing this week, it became very obvious that there was simply so much that needed to be brought out in this first section that I needed to break it into two sermons. And so we're going to finish the introduction next week. But as we begin the letter to the Philippians this morning, we are reminded of the importance of being partners in the gospel. As Paul addresses this church and its leadership, he expresses how much their partnership means to him. And, and that should serve as an example for us today. If you remember in our, in our time in 3 John last year, we saw that Gaius was a great example of working together with other believers for the sake of the kingdom. And John emphasized that we ought to do that. And so here at First Baptist Flow, the, the Lord has placed us in his providence in southeast Texas. And so this is our primary area of responsibility. And yet, the Great Commission calls us to make disciples of all nations. And if churches never look beyond themselves, then that work will never be done. And so we are called to be partners in the gospel as we work together with other believers to fulfill the mission. As we've said before, we always need to have one eye here on our area, and we need to have another eye that is looking out for opportunities for us to be at work for the gospel in other areas. We need to ask the question, where can we contribute to the work of the kingdom in, in unreached or underreached areas? Now, in some ways, we're already doing this, and so it's always good for us to review what we do and why we do it. And so as a Southern Baptist church, we partner with the rest of the churches in our convention uh, by giving to the cooperative program through our budget. And that cooperative program giving funds state and national ministries, it helps to fund our seminaries where we train missionaries and pastors, and it, it helps uh, with a variety of other initiatives. And in doing that, we are able to accomplish far more together by partnering than we would be able to if we all tried to work on our own. But beyond that, we also support our local church association. Uh, we support the work of East Texas Baptist Encampment. Uh, we well, work as of this year to support the work of Bible translation. We partner with the Hope Clinic. And then twice a year, we also take up a special missions offering for missions work around the world. And so 100% of the money that we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to fund uh, international missions work. And, and all that we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering supports missions and church planting work all around North America. So there are a variety of ways that we are actively partnering in the gospel financially, and we want to continue doing that more and more. But partnership isn't just about giving. It's also about doing. It's also about doing, and so we also need to be about doing. As a church, we expect our members to be serving in some capacity, but we also need to be ready to partner with other churches in practical ways for the advancement of the gospel. And so things like when we go out and do disaster relief work, like we've done in Finette or in Lake Charles, right, we're helping sister churches get back on their feet quickly 
so that they can keep engaging their communities for Christ. And when we take mission trips, which we're hopefully going to start doing again soon, we're strengthening sister churches and ministries to be able to do what they're doing better. And then even in smaller ways, we, we work together with Woodcrest here in town for our backpack ministry. Even things as simple as packing a shoebox with Operation Christmas Child opens doors for missionaries and church planters to be able to build relationships with the people they're trying to reach. And so there are a number of practical ways that, that our church partners in the gospel. We always need to be on the lookout for new opportunities to do that, whatever they may be. But beyond giving and doing, we also need to partner in the gospel by developing. And by that, I mean that we need to be consistently developing disciples and leaders who can lead in the work of ministry. Right? Jesus tells us that, that the harvest is plentiful. Right? That's not the problem. The problem is that the workers are few. And again, the, the church is not a social club. It's not a service organization or a political action group. We are disciples who have been called to make other disciples. We have been set apart by God for his own purposes. And so one of the things that that means is that we need to be intentional about developing leaders who can go on to serve as overseers and as deacons in our church and in other churches who will take the gospel around the world to unreached people groups as missionaries, who will translate the Bible into other languages so that all people can have access to God's word, or who will simply be faithful church members who help other people to follow Jesus. We certainly need a lot of those. And here's the deal. The reality is that seminaries don't do that. Right? Parachurch organizations don't do that. Right? The mission groups don't do that. All those groups have their place, and they can be very helpful in their own way. But the primary responsibility for, for discipleship and for raising and developing new leaders is, is, falls on the, the local church. And we have to take that responsibility seriously if we are going to partner in the gospel effectively. So how do we do that? Well, it starts with the basics of what we expect out of all of our members. We expect our members to attend regularly, to find an area where they can serve in some capacity, to give, to, to live a life that commends the gospel to outsiders. And through that, we build relationships with one another where, where we are able to encourage one another, to teach and correct one another, to confess to and forgive one another. To, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another. And as we live out the life that we've been called to in the scriptures, we help one another to grow and mature in our faith, which then prepares us to partner in the gospel in more significant ways. So the Philippians were faithful partners in the gospel with Paul. And by God's grace, my prayer is that our church at First Baptist Lowe will continue to grow in faithful partnership as well. Let's pray together.